All right, well, this morning, uh, I sent an email, email out, a reminder this week that we have a very special guest this morning. And uh, Jeff and Sandra Price are here. Uh, they are our missionaries to Bolivia. And uh, they've been home the last several months being able to, to do field reports in churches and visit a lot of their supporting churches and give updates. And, and if you remember the last time that Jeff was here, man, Bolivia is kind of a powder keg, if I could put it like that. They're, if we think things are crazy here, uh, he'll share a little bit of the kind of the civil war and unrest and, and things that they've had to deal with. Of course, right now, the whole world is dealing with COVID and, uh, and that's hit their country very, very hard. And, uh, and, and a lot of it has to do with just the way that their, their, their culture is structured. And so they've seen a tremendous uh, impact because of that disease in their country. Uh, but in the midst of all that, uh, God is still working. And, and we talked about that at dinner last night. And, and I, I'm encouraged that in Bolivia, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of, you know, government uncertainty, God's still in control. And I'm thankful that in Huntsville, Alabama, in the midst of uncertainty and chaos and craziness, guess what? God's still in control. And he's still at work, and, and we, have a, we have a mission to accomplish. And so I'm really excited for those guys to be here today. So, brother, you come. Let's give him a warm community fellowship welcome. Love this guy. I love his wife. And I'll, I'll let you adjust this accordingly. Is that good? Love you, man. Love you, too. Thank you. I'm going to sit because my feet hurt. I have gout. Do y'all mind if I take my coat off? We live at about 6,800 feet in Bolivia, and there ain't no humidity. And um, I just have not got adjusted to humidity in Tennessee, and it's even a little bit stronger here, I think. We, we live in Knox, just south of Knoxville, a little town called Maryville. Boy, this thing's going to go down on me if I ain't careful. Y'all know where Mar Maryville is, anybody? Okay. You know where Smoky Mountains are? If you used to go up here like you was going to Knoxville, before you get to Knoxville, you turn right. And you, you run up this highway called 321, and the last city you come to before you hit the mountains is Maryville. That's where, that's where we are. When I was in the Navy, I, always want, I was going to get out and buy me a log cabin at the foot of the mountains because it was so beautiful there, and that's what we did. Now, we're not in the log cabin no more, but Maryville is still where we call it home. I have with me my wife. I call her my better third. Y'all will get that in a minute. I'm going to ask her to pass out some prayer cards. Um, Sandra and I have uh, been very, very fortunate. We've, we've actually served in two different mission fields. We were in American Samoa and the South Pacific, and then uh, in Bolivia. And as, as Pastor Jay said, Bolivia was, by the way, you know what? Thanks for being willing to show a heart when you, when you thank people for praying for you. So many pastors don't show their human side, and, and I appreciate that. It, it allows us to pray better for you and your family. So thank you for that. I know you didn't want, probably didn't want me to say that. but um, Bolivia, is a, it, it is a powder keg. I mean, Sandra and I have literally sat through three shoot 'em up revolutions. You know, people dying in the streets. And I remember one time my landlord at my house, uh, of the house we lived in in a city called Cochabamba, he come up to the house and he was limping. And um, his name was Raul. I said, Raul, what's going on with you? He said, well, he said, I got caught out in this riot the other day. And if you know anything about these, a lot of third world countries, the houses are surrounded by walls. And on top of those walls, you find anything from barbed wire to cut glass to spikes, anything like that. And this fellow said, he said, look, he said, I was out in this riot the other day. And he said, they were running towards me and I had to get away from them. And I jumped up this wall. And when I came down, my leg got stuck on a spike. And he said, I hung there for over an hour before somebody could come up and get me. 
And so just, it, just crazy stuff like that going on. And, and of course, last year, you know, there was kind of literally a, 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 a government coup revolution, whatever you want to call it. We had a socialist president for 14 years, and um, he wasn't supposed to, he was running for his fourth or fifth term, and he was only supposed to have two, you know. And um, they, he, he frauded the election, basically. I mean, they found, they found boxes and boxes of, of pre-filled out ballots in hotel rooms and whatnot, and Long story short, the people had had enough of it, and they went to the streets, literally shut down everything for a month. We couldn't go off the street in front of our house for a month, you know. And so that kind of thing goes on, and an interim government came in, and they were supposed to have new elections within 90 days of that. Then this five-letter word that we're all dealing with hits, right, COVID. And those were pushed back to May, and then the, the virus is still doing some crazy things down there, and it was pushed back to September. And then it was pushed back to October, and about that time, the, the president's old party said, you know, you're never going to have these elections, and they took it as an opportunity to go to the streets, and they, they blockaded the country, all cities, at about 80 different major, um, you know, uh, transitional or, or transportation places, and they wouldn't let medical supplies go through, they wouldn't let oxygen, oxygen get to patients that needed it, and let me tell you, COVID's... Um, I know it's a, it, the emotions and the philosophy on it here run from one way to the other. And you don't, there's so much conflicting information, you don't really know what to believe. Everybody kind of has within their heart, own heart. But I promise you there, it's terrible. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But they're literally people dying in the streets in front of the hospital. And hospitals run at about 15 to 20% of their work staff because they're all dead or sick. And so it's a, it's a, it's a mess. And so all that and all this political thing and the election's supposed to come out next month and it literally is another powder keg. And honestly, I'm glad we won't have to sit through another fourth possible revolution. But that said, you know what? I was telling Pastor Jay last night, when God's people get creative, he shows up. We can't box him in. He doesn't work just within our methods, you know? And, and there's been some, I was telling Pastor Jay, this, this, is a, this statistic is two months old. We know that there's been over 100 pastors alone that have died as a direct result of this virus because they're out working in the streets and they're working with their people. And so, you know, but God is still working in all of that. Churches are still surviving. Churches are still functioning. And our church had to do some creative things that I'll, I'll show you in a few minutes. What we would like to do this morning I've got uh, an hour and a half, right? Three hours, okay. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're not going to get there yet, but we will eventually. Um, but as you do that, would you join me with a heart of prayer? Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we love you. And Father, we're so grateful for the, the privilege that we have of being your children. Lord, of being brothers and sisters um, with that common bond we find in you. God, it's a wonderfully unique thing. I know this is our third or fourth time here. And so we walk in like we're going in amongst old friends. But all of that, Lord, is built on the fact that we're brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so I thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you will bless the ministry of this church and these people in this location. God, I ask you to bring healing where healing is needed. Patience and grace and comfort, Lord, where those things are needed. I think of Pastor Jay's family going through the death of, 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 of uh, Allie's aunt um, recently, Lord. I ask you to be with their family, Lord. Calm them as only you can. 
God, I pray for the works, not just in Bolivia, but all the way, all the way around the world, Lord, both here and there. And God, I ask you to have your will and your way in the lives of men and women. God, as we spend a few minutes this morning talking about Bolivia, I pray that it'll be an encouragement. Lord, it'll be a reminder for me and Sandra of the things that you have for us to do. But Lord, it'll be an encouragement here because of the partnership that we have together or that common cause of reaching the world for you. Lord, then I ask that you bless the, the, your word this morning. As we get into your word, Lord, we'll read a few verses, God, and we hopefully apply them. God, I pray that you will touch our hearts, not through anything that I as an individual say, Lord, but, but just something in your word that, that can make us more determined to serve you when we leave than we were when we came. And we'll give you the honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So you've got a prayer card there. You take that home. You put it on your refrigerator. No, don't put it on your refrigerator and throw darts at it, but put it somewhere you can throw darts at. Um, but Sandra and I, you know, we... Um, We've served, we've been married for 37 years. We got a, am I doing something wrong here? There we go. You know, Sandra and I have served in a couple different mission fields, and one of the things that I enjoy the most is what we're doing right here. You know, when, when Paul and Barnabas got done with their mission work, the Bible says that they, when they were come, they had gathered the church together, and they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And, you know, that's a cool thing. That's what we're doing this morning. And there's not a whole lot of things. I mean, we get principles, biblical principles, and we live by them, we apply them and whatnot. But this is black and white. Well, that's not black, but it's black and white, straight out of the pages of the Scripture, something that you and I can do this morning that they were doing 2,000 years ago. And so that's a good thing that we're doing this morning. So we're privileged to be able to do that. Uh, we are serving Bolivia, and I want to notice that, and Latin America, because our missions agency has kind of asked us to take on a leadership role. It's a volunteer position. But it will see our work go into some other areas of the country, and I'll, of Latin America, and I'll show you that. We've been married 37 years, family of five. We're all, you know, kind of Navy people. We've been serving as missionaries for 16 years, and as I said, in American Samoa and, and Bolivia. A lot of people don't know where Bolivia is. I, get, I have people call it Bulgaria, you know. But Bolivia is in the heart of South America. It's a landlocked country. And the cool thing is it's really a diverse country. The, the altitude runs anywhere from... 800 feet above sea level to 23,000 feet above sea level. So any kind of flora and fauna that you can think of is there. And the wildlife, the landscape is just absolutely incredible. But that diversity is also amongst the people. There's 38 languages spoken in Bolivia, right? And so Spanish is just one of them. And they, they kind of count English in there too because a few hundred people speak English. But it is a very, very diverse country. And as you know, we spent 10 years in, in Bolivia, or seven years in Bolivia, three years in American Samoa. And when we went back, we left before because of the political unrest. And, you know, I've shared with you before, we, while we were home, Sandra had cancer. So we really believe that God brought us back to the States to save her life as there and here, you know. But God, you, you know, you can't take the mish out of a missionary, right? And so in 2013, God began moving in our hearts. And I think that's about when we met you guys. We were camping over here at Lake Gunnersville. And I wanted to go to church on a Wednesday night. I'm, not, I'm one of those kind of guys that you go on vacation, you still go to church, right? So we came over here on a, on a Wednesday night, and Pastor Jay was gracious to us and was kind enough to allow us to come back. And we've been partnered with you all ever since. But I didn't want to insinuate ourselves in the work that we had done before. You know, I mean, they may not like us no more. And so I didn't want to do that. And so when we got back to Bolivia, we started looking at different, different communities, different neighborhoods, different churches. Could this national pastor in this church, could he use the help of a missionary? Because we have a few resources that they don't. Lord, would you have us start a new church? 
And we had started this church in 2003. It's Iglesia Bautista Biblica La Luz. And we started it with a young man from Peru. We're partners. And about the same time we had left Bolivia, God moved his family back to Peru. And I didn't know this, but about the time that God began moving in our hearts to go back to Bolivia, it moved in his too. And he got there about a year before we did. And he found a church in, that was really in rough shape. And I'll, I'll get into that in a minute. But, but we go back there, and we're, Sandra and I didn't want to insinuate ourselves on the work. And we weren't sure what we were going to do. And one day I get a knock on my door. And it was my partner, Elias, who had gone back and gathered these people together. He said, but Jeff, he said, as soon as we found out you were coming back to Bolivia, we prayed two things. The first is that God would get you back to Bolivia fast. And God did that because when, they, when, they, when you start raising support, it's, a, it's an ordeal, you know. And in and, and this day and age, I think it's a little bit better now, but five, six years ago they were saying it was going to take three years. And, and I'm a little bit long in the tooth, you know, and I was a little concerned about that. But God raised our support in 16 months. So very, very pleased about that. So God got us back fast. He said the second thing was this, is that you would come back and you would work specifically with us. And so we did that. And what we found, you know, um, God gave us the ability to kind of see the work that had taken place before. One of the coolest things ever is to see fruit that remains. You know, I remember you told me that Pastor Blue's son came through here, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And what he was doing was that Pastor Blue pastored this church years ago. And his son Paul came through. And there's a thing about reminiscing, you know. Memory is so powerful. And if, once you get a little age on you, you'll understand that. And so when God gives you the ability to reminisce and to remember things, it just kind of firms you up in your faith. And that's one of the things that we noticed was this church that we had started in 2003, um, it was, you know, the people were still there. And now the church had gone through a terrible time. After we left and after our pastor, our friend Elias left, they had a national pastor come in. And I may have shared some of this with you the last time I was here. But this guy was not the most honorable of pastors, if you can imagine that right? And he kind of ran up some bills and some missionaries' name and ran up bills and my partner's name, Elias, who had been there. And one day he gets mad at the people. And he literally goes in and the, they were meeting in this kind of a pavilion with a corrugated tin roof. And he goes out there and he cuts the building off at the ground, loads all the metal up in a truck, puts all the chairs in a truck, puts the sound equipment in a truck. Everything that the church was, uh, had he loaded up and boogied out of town, never to be seen from again. Now think about that. Now our buildings are a little more substantial here, right? We hope. No, they are. Trust me, they are. Could you imagine coming to church one day and there ain't no building sitting there? I know that's good English, but how would you feel? Well, that's what happened to these people. They were devastated and, and they scattered. And so when our partner Elias went back, he started gathering them together and did a, basically a, a reorganization and as we went in, we started seeing fruit that remained, though. Even though the church had been through a tough time, there were believers that were still there. This girl here on the left, she was a teenager in our church. She's now our church uh, treasurer. The girl on the right, she's not in our church. She's in a different city, but she's still in church with her family. This young man here, um, I baptized him in a swimming pool. And I'm at the airport one day sending off a missions team to come back to the States. And there was this guy kind of built like me, you know. And you can see there he wasn't quite like that. But he's a big fella. And he's in a police uniform. And they say, hey, Brother Jeff, do you remember this guy? And I'm like, no. And they said, well, you baptized him in your swimming pool. And so um, long story short was this. He's not in our church, but he's in church. 
His family's in church. His children are in church. And so God has given us the ability to see fruit that remains. A lot of, one of the things that we noticed in 2003, kids were coming to school just bouncing off the walls. Have you seen that Sunday school, bouncing off the walls? You've seen that before, right? And what we deduced was, or Sandra did this, reduced that, or deduced that they were coming to church hungry, hadn't been fed. And she, she started feeding them something light, you know, cookies and milk, crackers and milk, something like that. And you know what? They started listening to the gospel, and they got saved. And today, some of those same kids are now teachers in our Sunday school. One of them is now our youth pastor, you know. One of those, we had a teenager there that was kind of, his main thing was catting around looking for a girl to date. Well, he's now one of the leaders in our church. And so God gave us the ability to see in individuals fruit that remains, even though the church had been through a tough time. And so when we went back there in 2017, you know, the church had been struggling, and, but it began to grow. And some of these pictures, you know, are a little bit older. But as we have worked with the church, you know, we started to see people come back. And one of the things that we, that we had had, and I, I think I showed you the, probably the, the pictures of part of the building we were working on last time, okay? Because our church was meeting in a, a living room, not a whole lot wider, maybe two chairs wider than this front set of pews and three rows deep, and we were putting 85 and 100 people in there. Now, Bolivians are small, but they ain't that small. And so we made the decision to build this building, we had an understanding with the landlord that we could be there another four or five years. Um, we, we built it so that you could take the thing apart. And we were going to just have a dirt floor because we don't own the land. But we said, you know what? Built, putting a concrete floor in Bolivia, it's, not, it's nothing like it is here. Concrete's gold here. You know, there cost us a couple thousand dollars, and we were willing to take a chance to be able to have that investment, use the building. So we got the building built, put the pavilion up. It's 205 square meters. It's probably not a whole lot smaller than this building, right? And um, put the concrete floor in it, got it built. And as soon as we got the thing built, the landlord said, oh, by the way, I want you guys gone by next March. Now, whether he thought we would leave the building or not, I don't know, you know. But evidently what happened was his, his children had talked him into building an apartment building in that area. And I, so I don't know what he was going to do. But so I'm like, well... God, did you not know this was going to happen? And fortunately, God can handle our sarcasm. You know, praise the Lord for that, right? Because we're, we're humans and we doubt. God knows that. He made us. And so in our sin nature, sometimes we doubt and we have questions and whatnot. And God is gracious through all that. I praise him for that. So I see, you know, this church was struggling. You know, it started growing. We built this building. And um, now we're faced with a situation that what do I do? You know, you can see kind of some of the number of peoples that were there, peoples, people that were there, you know, people were getting saved and baptized. I, I, one thing I forget to advance the slides, so I'm talking five or ten slides ahead here. And so, but anyway, so we go through this problem, the church is growing, what do we do with it? And so we literally, we had made the decision, we began looking for a place to rent. Couldn't find nothing, nothing. I was going to rent another piece of property and build this building in this new place, or I was going to try to rent a room somewhere, and there was absolutely nothing. And so we had had, we have a kids club ministry where we go around different communities, we start kids clubs in areas where there's no churches. And we had this one in an area that there was like between 70 and 90 kids coming every single week. And we had an opportunity, it's all the way across town now. That doesn't sound too bad here because we have cars. But only about five, between 5 and 10% of the Bolivians have their own transportation. 
And so we really weighed this out. You know, what are we going to do? And so we made the decision. We were going to take this building apart, transport it across town, rebuild it. And I was going to run a bus from the old location to the new location. And everybody's going to be fine. This area here needs a church, you know, so it's a good thing. But when I made that decision, I came under conviction that, you know, Jeff, Bolivians don't do anything on time. If you know anything about the Latin culture, it's just part of it. It's not a, a, a slam on anybody. They just don't do things on time. And so my thought process was this. I'm going to run a bus. My first Sunday, everybody's going to get there on time, maybe. Right? And the second Sunday, about half of them are going to get there on time. And about the third or fourth Sunday, nobody's going to get there on time. And so I kind of made the decision that should we move this building, I'm going to do it at the expense of the spiritual growth of these people. And I felt that that was not wise. And so we came together as a church. We made the decision. No, we believe God wants us to keep the church in this location. And within a, half a, within a, within a week, a half a block from where our location was, God opened up a bigger piece of property for half the money. Go figure, right? And so we <laughs> took the building apart and built it in this new location. You're, you can see what it is. This is just a glorified pavilion, right? Bolivians call it very elegant. It's literally the biggest Baptist church in our city, space-wise, not number-wise, you know. We have had some pretty good attendance. We've had attendance as high as 265 people. But you can get a look at it there. That's what we're using. Um, I was going to put a cross up like what you got, right? <laughs> right? And, and so I have this pastor friend of mine who says, he said, Jeff, he says, um, he said don't, don't, don't put a cross up on the wall. And I'm like, Really? Man, the cross is awesome, right? We, we celebrate the cross. He said, no, it's a part of idolatry here. Hmm, never had thought about that. So we made the decision to do something different, and we did. The next week, right, this guy and I are talking. He's a real dear friend of mine. You'll see his picture in a minute. Real dear friend of mine, he says, Jeff, he says, I owe you an apology. And I said, what's that? He said, my wife put a big old cross in our church about... Probably that size or bigger in prominent location. And he couldn't take it down because his wife did it, right? So now he was apologizing for giving me bad advice. But, but that was an interesting thing there. And, um, but this guy's a prince. Anyway, so you, say, you kind of see the church there. Um, you know, we've had some great attendance. We, the, the building gets used for mar- you know, marriage seminars, youth, youth meetings. And we've had attendance as high as, high as 265. And so God really uses that piece of property and, and our, just like any other church, you know, I mean, you, churches kind of go like this, don't they? You have peaks and you have valleys. And, and our church was kind of the same thing. We had 265. The next week we have half that. Go figure. It's just the way things work. But God used that. And, and I was thankful for that. And so God, through that church, through that church ministry, we've seen it grow. We've seen it about double in size in the last three years. When we got there, it doubled in about the first four months. And then it's hence doubled again. And um, we've sent missionaries out, you know, and so a lot of good things are taking place. The discipleship ministry, and, and that's what I want to show you here is the ministry does flourish in other areas than building buildings, right? And so what's important to us, you know, are certain things. Um, evangelism is something that is very, very important to us. We believe in personal evangelism. We believe in sharing our faith with people. They're actually describing the, a steeple on a church because we had this lady. I, I won't tell you this story because it's a long one. But this lady was asking a question, and they said, we're Baptist missionaries, and there was a church about two blocks over, and none of us knew the Spanish word for steeple. 
And so they were describing a steeple. But out of that came this opportunity to share Sanders faith and Missy's faith, our friend there. And so we believe in, this, in personal evangelism followed up by discipleship. You, people need to be taught what it is that they're supposed to do. God doesn't save us to do nothing, does he? God saves us to do something. And so we believe in personal, personal evangelism followed by discipleship. We do one-on-one discipleship and even corporate discipleship. Some, that's something that I believe is important because sometimes on a Sunday night, you know, I can gather, I can gather together 15 or 20 people and go through uh, Bible studies with them. And you can see who, who needs extra work in these areas. And we pull them off, you know, one-on-one. And so God has been in, involved in that. So with discipleship, and then after that becomes leadership training, you know. Um, because just because somebody's discipled and they're starting to grasp their faith, they need to move on. And so leadership training is next, and that's a big, big part. I told you there was young people that were, that were saved in the work before. The, the, the small guy in the black jacket is now our youth pastor. He was a small kid in the church. The teenager that I told you about that was looking for a girl to date is the guy in the blue jacket. You know, Those guys are now in leadership in our church, and that's just that fruit that remains. You know? And um, you know the reason I'm taking you through an old slideshow this morning is this. The guy that makes my videos, I couldn't get with him because of the silly virus. And so I had to throw together a bunch of PowerPoints, uh, pictures. I hope I don't put you to sleep in this. Anyway, so, you know, leadership training is something that's vital to us. We do it in a number of different venues. We've had, you know, seminars come in. We do it one-on-one. Um, and then I think that another step beyond that is the Bible Institute. You know, we want to take people and, and take them. Basically, it's precept among, upon precept, you know. We teach, them the, we teach them the gospel. We teach them the basics of their faith. We teach them how to lead people in their faith. And then we want to teach them how to do more with what they believe. And so that's a big step there. Um, and so Bible Institute is something that's been a very, very important thing. And then I had a friend of mine launch out, the same guy that was, that was chastising me about the cross, right? He says, Brother Jeff, he says, um, I have a men's ministry. Would you take part in it? And so we were able to launch out into that and be involved in, in the men's ministry. And then Lady Sandra stepped out and did some ladies' ministry. Here, this is a, a, on the day of the woman. What day is that, Sandra? Is that in September? October? Um, and, you know, our normal ladies' ministry would draw 25 or 30 ladies of the church. And we said, no, we're going to put on this big old shindig kind of thing, you know. And uh, our ladies bought into it, and they started inviting lost people, lost family members. We had 130 people show up to this, right? And we had a, 21 professions of faith made through that process. Now, in the crowd, it was supposed to be women only, but because it was a free meal, we ended up with about 20 men. You know how that, go, you know how that goes, right? <laughs> Guys are going to bogart anything that they can get. And so ladies' ministry has become something that's vitally important. And then my friend, once again, with the men's ministry, he says, Brother Jeff, he says, um, he says two or three times a week, he said, I have couples of, varying, of various groups coming into my church. And he found out that Sandra and I have been married since dirt, right? And he says, would you come and talk to these couples? And I can't tell you what a fulfilling thing that is because we'll, sometimes we'll have 20 couples there, you know, 30, 40 people in the room. And the questions that they ask, there is nobody doing anything to help families grow. And so we've been able to field questions and teach different lessons and whatnot. And so very, very viable ministry is helping these couples ground in their faith, be grounded. But also, what does it take to make a strong marriage? Not a perfect marriage because nobody has one, but a strong marriage. And the cool thing about that is we'll see people around town sometimes. And they'll come up and they'll say, Brother Jeff, I was in your, in your class the other night at Pastor Sergio's house. And you said this. 
And my wife and I have been talking about this, and this has happened a number of times with people that we've seen around town. So God has enabled that ministry to be very, very fruitful. Um, I love this picture here because it was a, Sandra was invited into a different church than ours to speak, and uh, that, that was a good time for her. And then children's ministry, you know, you like to have your kids meet, uh, minister to, don't you? It makes you feel good. And so we do that in our church, of course, but we also do it in communities where there are no churches. We call these things ora feliz, which means happy hour. Now, I have trouble with the name, you know, happy hour. It means something here. And, and everybody's like, well, Brother Jeff, nobody here knows, nobody here really knows what happy hour is. And so I'm going by this restaurant, right? And uh, in English, it says happy hour. And it was a bar. So now we have, our church is named Iglesia Bautista La Luz, which is the light Baptist church. And so we have clubs de luz, light clubs. So I like that better. But these kids ministries, you know, are something that, are, that, that give us an opportunity to kind of get into a new neighborhood. So we started three of those. And then student ministries, you know, what happened with you getting these kids ministries, you know, these little bitty kids had come. Next thing you know, their brothers and sisters are bringing them in. And they start hearing the gospel, and then moms and dads will come. But we ended up needing to do something for students, and that was important. And so that's a very, very uh, important ministry for us as well. Um, and then, of course, teaching and preaching. God, had, in the last couple of years, God has taken us into different cities, into different churches, and kind of expanded the ability that we have to preach and teach. I, I, I passed over a picture there that I, I didn't mean to. Um, we have in our city... Um, about half a million people. And there's 300 people that speak English that don't speak anything else. And so I got this idea from another missionary and I were talking about it. And I talked to one of my pastor friends. I said, look, let us use your church to start an English Bible study. And so we started that last October, I guess. And then what happens is the country goes into a revolution and you can't meet. And then we meet after that thing, after things loosened up. And then they take a winter break and then guess what happened? COVID hits. So, but that English ministry is something that, that will be fruitful in the long run as well. But teaching and preaching in various locations, uh, Sandra's not preaching there, I promise, but God's given her the ability to, to teach in different churches and ladies' ministries and kids' ministries and, and whatnot, and that's been important. Um, as we built the new building, right, and made the decision not to go to this new area, they still needed a church, Right? And so we made the decision last to start a church there. And so last September in 2019, we started this work. And it started out of a kids' club, right? And so um, it has had a high of attendance of, of 85 people. You see, it's a pretty rough building. We've kind of done some beautification on it since then. Um, but we would meet on Sunday nights. Uh, the plan was to go into Sunday mornings with, with this as well. This is actually, we had a lot of people saved outside the meetings, but this was, her name is Esmeralda, the older lady there. She was our first convert in the actual services, you know. But you can see it's a, it's a packed house there, and, and God's been good to that. And we kind of, like I say, we've been kind of beautifying the building a little bit. And so now, instead of just taking one church and moving it to a new location, we have this church plus that church. And so I kind of think when I asked God, did he know what he was doing? God knew what he was doing, right? God wanted a second church somewhere. And he just needed me to get to the point where I agreed with him, which is pretty telling, isn't it? And so, you know, that's important. Uh, and then in this year in February, my friend, Pastor Sergio, that's him and his wife there, Cecilia, he says, Brother Jeff, he said, I want to start a new church in downtown. And we put this thing together. 
they have um, a high attendance of 85 people on their first service, right? And then COVID hits. And Bolivians haven't been able to assemble since March at all for any reason. I'll tell you a little more about that. But, but this church here, it'll be a very family-oriented ministry. Um, he right currently is doing 11 Zoom meetings uh, with different people a week. And he just told me yesterday, he said, I have two meetings, one in Los Angeles and one in New Mexico. Now, this cat's in Bolivia, right? And he's got a group of believers here that we're not attending church here. When God's people get creative, God shows up. So I think Sandra and I may have the opportunity to kind of go and connect with these new congregations uh, here as well, which would be pretty cool to, to kind of reach out to them from a Bolivian pastor in the States with a, with a missionary to Bolivia. And so God has blessed that, that, that work, and they still continue. I think he's got about 600 people over the course of the last several months that he has, that he has been working with, and uh, we will be partnered with him as we go back. Um, you know, so God has blessed things, and then all of a sudden, this silly thing hits, right? And, and we caught, we actually, I saw airports shutting down, and Sandra, I made the decision to move our tickets up a couple weeks. We literally caught the second to the last flight out of Bolivia. We had some family things we needed to take care of, and she was supposed to have a surgery that ended up getting canceled. Um, and what we found out was not only did we catch the second flight out of the country, 30 minutes after we left our town, they shut the town down. Now, when I say shut the town down, this is what I mean. No buses in or out. No flights in or out. Taxis cannot be on the street. There's a curfew, right? And people in, in, in Bolivia in general, but more so in our city, if you're under the age 18, you can't leave your compound at all for any reason. If you're, if you're a gray beard, right, if you're over the age of 64, you can't leave your house. Period. And this has been going on since March. The only people that are allowed to work, hospitals, certain medical offices, police, military, and some government officials. Six months. Bolivians work from day to day. What they work today buys their food for tonight and tomorrow. And so you have a lot of problems going on there. And so people were starving to death. And if you've read our prayer letters, you've kind of seen some of this already. Um, because of this quarantine, it's so much so that, you know, you, you, they're actually washing the streets down with bleach every day. If you go into a, into a, a store, you have to walk through a solution to clean your feet. And so they have really, really taken measures to try to prevent. Now, unfortunately, it hasn't worked. Statistically, they're, they're, their numbers are twice as bad as ours. There has been people that can't get into the hospitals. They're dying on the street in front of the hospital. Three weeks ago, they went through the country and they pulled 700 bodies out of houses, out of, off of park benches, out of you know, sleeping under trees and overpasses and whatnot. The people have gotten sick and just died from this thing. Now, whether it's comorbidities involved, who knows? But they got the sickness and they died. And so Bolivians, with the extreme measures that they took, it still didn't save them. And so people were going hungry, right, without food. And so our church and some other missionaries, you know, had this idea, let, let, let's try to get some food to them. Now, I know I'm running short on my time, but I got to tell you this story. Um, when we were back in the States uh, one time, I guess it was in December. We were only supposed to be back in December and January, and then we ended up having to come back for other reasons. 
um, I get this panicked call from a missionary friend of mine. He's a new missionary, and he didn't speak very good Spanish. And he says, Brother Jeff, he said, the police are here at your house, and they want to talk to you. Now, on my docket of my next thing to do in Bolivia is to do our visa paperwork. And you have to go through Interpol. You have to go through background checks and police checks. And now I've got the police at my door talking to me. And I said, what in the world's going on? They said, out. Your dog, he done got out and he killed, a, he killed a dog and the police want to talk to you about it. And that's a pretty serious matter. I mean, that, that could charge me a lot of money. And I'm, I'm a little bit panicked at this point, right? And so he said, but don't worry about it. He said, I'll go down there and I'll find out what's going on and we'll get it taken care of. And he goes over with a Bolivian friend of mine and the lady wouldn't see them. So now, I'm, now my stress is ratcheted up even a notch, right? He said, we'll go back at 2.30 when she comes back off of lunch. And so fortunately, they took another missionary who was good in Spanish with them. And here's the story. This police lady had a German shepherd. And I have a German shepherd. He's 110 pounds. He's beautiful. And this lady's dog was in heat. And she was worried about a false pregnancy. So she goes to the I'm going somewhere with this, I promise. She goes to the vet. And she says, um, I, I'm worried about my dog dying with this false pregnancy. Who can I get in touch with to mate this dog with? Oh, well, Pastor Jeff, he's down the street. He's got a beautiful German shepherd. And so... What, long story short, all this lady wanted to talk to me about in my dog was she wanted to mate my dog with her dog. And the dog, my dog didn't kill any dog. She was just worried about her dog dying. So we all had a great laugh about that, right? It was funny. And it shows you the importance that you got to learn the language. All right, fast forward. Listen, nothing happens by chance often, right? Fast forward, COVID hits, people are going hungry. We can't be out on the streets for any reason whatsoever. And so one of my, the guy that works with me is a believing guy. He has this bright idea. He says, we have a relationship with this police lady now. So he goes over there and he knocks on her door. And he says, we would like to take food to some of these areas and feed them. So she gets us permission and a police escort to start taking food to these communities. And so as these people get food right? They hear the gospel. They get a track. Some of them leave with the Bible. And it's nothing fancy. I mean, you know, 10 or 15 bucks of food in a bag. And we, I know and this is statistics a couple months old. Over 100 people had accepted Christ. Because when God's people get creative, he shows up. You can't box him in. And so I find that to be a tremendous blessing that even in a bad set of circumstances, if you and I'll be faithful, if you and I will do what God would have us to do, he'll still show up and he'll still bless it. So the last few years, you know, we had the church restoration. Uh, we, we started two new churches. We built the auditorium twice. Couples ministry, kids ministries, men's ministries, discipleship ministries, Bible Institute, all the things that, you know, that we've been doing. The three kids clubs that we started. And we have seen over 400 professions of faith in Christ. Now, getting them baptized is another matter in Bolivia. That's what we're working on. A number of them have, but not all of them. And so it has been a very fruitful and productive few years and, but my missions agency, you know, they said, Brother Jeff, um, you're a little long in the tooth now. We would like you to start taking some missionaries under your wing and do some training. And so God has opened up the door for us to do some of the things that we're doing in Bolivia, leadership training and discipleship ministries in other areas in Bolivia, obviously, and then to go into other countries. We've been invited into Chile. We've been invited into Yucatan. We've been invited into Peru to help start a new church. And so as we move forward, the work in Bolivia will shift a little bit, but our ministry and your ministry around the world will, will be going into other countries as well. And so we're excited about that. You know, 
it's hard to get a Bolivian to take a church from, a, from an American missionary because they don't feel like they can fill your shoes. I have a friend of mine who has been there 30 years, and he's tried to turn his church over five or six times. He's still the pastor of the church. So my thought is this. You can go in and you can try to you can start a new church. You can knock the doors. You can do the work. And at the end of five years, maybe ten years, you can turn it over to a pastor and you have a church. Or you can start with five, six, or seven leaders who God has called to pastor. And you can put them in place. And you can come alongside them and you can encourage them and partner with them. And in that same period of time, you don't have a trouble turning the church over because it's already in, in, in national leadership and you, at the end of that same five to ten year period, you've got, many, you've got much more work going on. So that's kind of our goal. And so we see this taking new missionaries under my wing has been something that's heart, near and dear to my heart because this can be a tough thing. And so sometimes people get discouraged. And so, you know, as we move forward, you know, that's what God has on our plates, you know, and that is to glorify his name, to preach his name among the people who need to hear it. Um, as you know, you know, BigDaddyMissions.com, there was supposed to be a nice transition there, but I don't, so I don't know if you can see that or not. But God has um, done some great things. And I want to tell you this. We couldn't do what we did, what we do, if you don't do what you do. There's a partnership that you have between your missionaries and you that is essential. It's straight out of the pages of the New Testament, and it's a way that we can glorify God together. Now, I ask you to turn in your Bible to Acts chapter. Now you get a sermon after a 30-minute presentation, right? 35-minute presentation. I promise you I'll make this fast. And I, only, I, only, I didn't tell any stories either, just one. You know, have you ever reached a point in your life, God, what's next? God, what do you have for me? I've been teaching this Sunday school class for 10 years. God, I've been faithful as a deacon for however many years. And you know there's never a time in the life of a believer where it's okay to quit God didn't give us a sprint. He gave us, you know, basically a marathon, and you run it to the end. You finish the course that God gave you. That doesn't mean you change, that you don't change. It just means you don't quit. Often, though, I'll come into a church, and I'm talking to my own generation here, young folks. Guys in my generation that have been serving for 20 years want to quit. And they want to let all that experience that they have stay on the, in a chair and hope that somebody else can come and do the work. And all their experience and wisdom goes to waste. That's never okay in Scripture. I know that's strong. I know that's hard, right? But it's the absolute truth. We don't reach a place in our lives where we can say, okay, God, I've done my turn. Get somebody else. Now, can we shift to something different? Sure, right? I mean, Sandra and I was on staff at my church. One of the most fruitful and productive ministries I've ever had in my life. I was, it was on staff at my church. We were happy. She had a great job. No, no worries. But I could see that God was working in our hearts to do something different. Because, you, like I said, you can't, take, you can't take the mission out of a missionary. And so we began seeing that God was going to move us. And I was 52 or 3 at the time. You know, I'm 58 now. And so I understood that, you know, it's okay to transition into something else. You just don't quit. And maybe you're here this morning and you've been involved in a... You've, taking care of the babies in the church for 50 years or 30 years or whatever it is. And maybe you're tired of changing diapers and you want to do something else. That's okay, right? But how do you, how do you find out what that is? How do you determine, God, what do you have next for me? And I think that there are some things that we can do that the Apostle Paul did 
that will be beneficial to us. And this will be very, very fast, right? Start with me. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. We prayed earlier. Then he, talking about Paul, uh, he came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek. So you get a guy who's half Jew and half Gentile. And if you know anything about that community, they don't like that, right? And so now verse 2, which was well reported of the brethren which were at Lystra and Iconium. Him, right, this young man named Timothy, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now I'm not going to get into what circumcision is. We all know that. But I can promise you this, and this is kind of a parenthesis. This ain't part of my message. I can promise you, you want to talk about getting out of your comfort zone? I can promise you that that particular procedure for any young man or old man or whatever is out of the comfort zone. And the cool thing about this is this. Paul, as his mentor, was willing to do it to him or have it done to him. But Timothy was also willing to undergo the procedure himself. Why? So that he could be a better witness and so that he could work among the Jewish population there more effectively. We always talk about not wanting to get out of our comfort zone. I can't do that on Wednesday night. My kids have basketball. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's uncomfortable for me. I promise you the biblical example, that's, pretty, that's extremely uncomfortable there. And so I challenge you this morning, when you get to the place where, God, what would you have me do? Be willing to get out of your comfort zone. Timothy was. Anyway, in verse 4, And they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and their elders which were at Jerusalem. And so there were certain churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Now i got four questions I want to ask you as we go through here this morning. We understand that the Apostle Paul, his habit was everywhere that he went, he preached the gospel. He'd done it on ship, he did it in prison, he did it isolated, he did it under trees. Everywhere that he had went. Matter of fact, in Romans chapter 14, he said that from Jerusalem over to Relicum, he had fully preached the gospel of Christ. So we know that everywhere that the Apostle Paul went in his life, preaching the gospel was what he did. So now Paul wants to go into Asia. He's done in Lystria and Derby. He wants to go into Asia. And the Holy Spirit said no. Now, I've often heard you can't take the gospel to the wrong address. You can if the Lord's not in it. And so evidently, Paul wanted to do a great work here. Paul wanted to do something that was important, but the Holy Spirit wasn't in it. And then you go on, right? And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. A second time, Paul wants to go do a great work, something that is to be lauded, and that's to preach the gospel, but God wasn't in it. And they passing by Mysia came to Troas. All right, now Troas. And a vision in verse 9 appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, 
or had received the call, check the next word immediately. He didn't wait till the house sold. He didn't wait till the kids were through high school. Immediately, he got, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. With surety they moved forward, not doubting if they were supposed to be doing the right thing. They weren't supposed to go into Asia. They weren't supposed to go into Bithynia. But now God's called them and they know it and they can move forward in confidence. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came into a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which was a chief city of that part of Macedonia, this is northern Greece, and a colony, and, and we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made, and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. Now, four quick, I promise you, quick questions this morning. The first thing is this. The Apostle Paul can show us this. As a, as a believer, when you're looking for God's will, are you where you ought to be? Now, I'm not talking about geog ge geographically, though that is a component here with Paul. Paul wasn't supposed to be in, in Asia, and he wasn't supposed to be in Bithynia. He was supposed to be in Troas. Once his team was assembled there, because at this, verse, at this point Luke joins them, right? Once his team was together and he was geographically in the place that he was supposed to be, he hears the vision or he gets the vision from God. But more importantly, we know that Paul was where he was supposed to be spiritually. He could have gone into Asia and been in disobedience. He could have gone into Bithynia and been in disobedience, but he was obedient to God and he was where he was supposed to be spiritually and when he was there... God gave him the vision and called him. So if you're looking for something, if you want to know what God's next step is for you, are you where you ought to be? Number two, we know that the Apostle Paul, everywhere he went, he was doing, he was preaching the gospel. So here's the question. Are you doing what you ought to be doing? Are you doing what you ought to be doing? It's not fair to expect God to give you something else if you're not doing what he's got for you now. Right? It's not fair to expect God to give you direction if you're not where you ought to be spiritually. And so here's the first two. Are you where you ought to be? Are you doing what you ought to be doing? Often, when you're doing what you ought to be doing, you put yourself in a position God has trust in you and can put you into something bigger. Are you doing what you ought to be doing? Here's the number three. I be careful of this because I take a long time on it. The Apostle Paul was listening to the Holy Spirit, wasn't he? He didn't have a pastor with him. So Paul was in direct, direct direction or uh, impression upon the Holy Spirit, knew that he wasn't supposed to go into Asia or into Bithynia. So here's the question. Are you listening to who you ought to be listening to? God has given you a pastor. Paul did not have one. I know this, when Sandra and I made the decision to go back to Bolivia, my pastor knew it as I knew it because he could see what God was doing in my life. I'm on staff. I'm doing a good job. I really was, right, for once in my life. I'm doing a good job. He sits me at his desk. He says, you know, Price, God's going to take you back to the mission field. 
Why? Because he had been preaching the, God, the, the, the truth in my life and he could see what I was responding to. He could see the way that my heart was directed. And so the man of God in my life understood what God was doing in my life. And I was under the direction of the Holy Spirit with the confirmation of my pastor and I was able to, to, to listen to who I was supposed to be listening to and move forward. And I could spend hour, an hour on this subject alone because God has given you a shepherd who loves you. God's given you a shepherd who spends time in the Word to impart the truth of God in your life. He sees your face. He sees how you live. He understands what God is doing in your life. Are you listening to Him? So, are you where you ought to be? Are you doing what you ought to be doing? And third, are you listening to who you ought to be listening to? And number four, are you willing to do what you ought to be doing? Or go where you ought to go. You see, often, I can't tell you the number of times also that I've, I've been in a church and I have some old boy and he's 45 years old and he'll come up to me and he'll say, Brother Jeff, you know, I should, I should, God called me to preach when I was 17 years old. And I never did it. I never, I, I, never, I, never, I never pastored a church. I never preached. And he's been wasting away in his, not wasting away, but you know what I'm saying. He's been stagnant in his church expecting God to give him something to do when he wasn't willing to do what God had for him to do in the first place. And I think it's a component. If you expect God to give you something to do, are you willing to do it? And so if you're looking for God's will in your life, those, there's other things that you can go to. But here's four pretty simple questions. Are you where you ought to be? Are you doing what you ought to be doing? Are you listening to who you ought to be listening to? And are you willing to do what you ought to do? I think if you can answer yes to those questions... You put yourself in a prime place so that when God taps on your shoulder, you can discern it and immediately take action on it. I don't know what God's got in your life, but he does. But I encourage you to put yourself in a place where that when God talks to you, you're ready to hear it. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, and as Pastor Jay comes, God, forgive me for taking the extra time this morning. God, I just pray that this short Bible lesson, Lord, will be a, a blessing to all of us. Lord, I pray that the work in Bolivia was an encouragement as well. God, as we move forward with our lives, Father, I pray that, that we walk with you, Lord, that we're sensitive to what we ought to be doing and where we are, Lord, that we understand that we need to be listening to the word of God through our pastor. Lord, we need to let him speak into our lives. And, and Lord, that when you do give us that call, that tap on the shoulder, Lord, let us be willing to do what you would have us do. We ask in Jesus' name. Thank you, brother. Don't you just love this guy, man? I, I, I told him last night, I was like, I, you know, we haven't known each other like that long, but I feel like I've known you forever. And uh, so can I borrow some money? <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. You know, uh, what an what a, what a awesome challenge. Uh, number one, what an awesome testimony of the ministry in Bolivia. And, and it is cool to see God continue to work am amongst very difficult circumstances. That should encourage us. Man, we, don't, we haven't even seen that kind of difficulty yet here, but we can be encouraged that even if we do, we can continue to be faithful. The Lord's going to be faithful. And, and I appreciate what he said over and over, and I wrote it down, and, and I, I wrote my own version of it, but... Creative Christians continue to see God work in their midst. That's what I wrote down. Creative Christians continue to see God's 
working in their midst. And we even see that at Acts 16, because when God started shutting doors for the Apostle Paul and his team, well, they just, they just kept trying and realized, okay, God's going to give us clarity on where we need to go. Okay, well, God shut the door here. We, we can't go to Asia, so let's go to Bithynia. No, we're not supposed to. They were trying to be creative and at the same time trusting the Lord. And ultimately, God opened the door and confirmed it through His Spirit. And by the way, if, if you're concerned that Asia didn't get the gospel, skip over to chapter 19, verse 10. All of Asia heard it. God, God's calling and God's timing are perfect, and God knows what He's doing. And, and God put Paul on that, that course for a reason. But I appreciated that because... It is easy, I think, in our culture, when things get difficult, that we, 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 we don't get uncomfortable to do what God's called us to do. We don't get creative. We don't, we don't embrace change easily. Does anybody embrace change easily? Uh, nobody does. And, and we've had a lot of change since March, haven't we? We've had to do things different here. Uh, I know some of our, our church families at home live streaming this. Listen, that was something that we had to change when COVID hit. It was, it was something different for us, it was a creative step, and God actually used that, and I think God's continuing to bless that. And so the message is getting out. People are hearing the Word of God from our church that didn't have exposure. Families are able to watch safely from their home that have uh, you know, physical conditions that would put them at risk. So we're thankful for that. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the opportunities. We're thankful even for, man, it's cool to just see how Jeff, in the last few years, his ministry, God is changing it. Where, where, hey, it's in Bolivia, and now, I don't know if you, you paid attention to the map, but now, oh, God's going to actually just use you to have an impact in all of South America. How about that? Is that okay? Yeah, I, I think that's okay. God's, God's opening doors that no man can close, and, uh, and it's really a fascinating thing. We serve an amazing God. We just serve an amazing God. And, uh, you know, even this is a challenge to me, man. Am I where I need to be? Am I doing what God's called me to do right now? Am I still listening to the Holy Spirit of God and, and church leadership and, and men in my life? And am I still willing to go? And I think that last one got me a little bit. Because that means it takes action. Man, it's easy to say, yeah, okay, I'm right where I need to be. I'm at my local church. I'm serving. I'm discipling. I'm doing. I'm still trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. But man, there's always a call to action. There's always that call to action to take the next step. And it's easy to get comfortable. And I think, you know, we talked last night. I, I think God has put our culture, our Christian culture to the test to see how really uncomfortable we're willing to get for the gospel's sake. Because at the end of the day, it's all about him. It's all about his glory. It's all about his son, Jesus Christ. It's all about the Great Commission. If you're here today, and, and this is not a normal Sunday, but it is a normal Sunday because we talk about missions a lot at our church. And, and we encourage people to give, but we encourage people to go. We want you to be trained to where you are, are capable and qualified and, and, and proficient enough to go across the street with the gospel to make disciples or to go around the world. And, and I still think that God's called us to reach the world. And it may be a little harder now. It may not be that we can get on a plane or get on a ship and go as easily as in the past. I appreciate the brother that says, you know what? I still think God's called us to do this, and so I'm going to have all these Zoom meetings. And oh, by the way, people from all over the world are tuning in. <laughs> He's just being creative and trusting the Lord, and God's using that.
Church, we need that kind of uh, zeal for the Lord. We, 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 we need to be led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God, but we never need to get so comfortable that we just keep doing things the way we've always done it. And I'm thankful for our church. We have, a, we have a legacy of faith here. We have people here that have been here 30, 40, 50 years, and I'm thankful for that. But to continue to grow and move forward, we have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to get uncomfortable, and, and we have to be willing to go wherever God has called us to go. And so, brother, thank you for sharing, man. My heart, my heart is certainly full. So thank you for being here. I want to I pray us out, and, and maybe we're not going to have an invitation or anything as far as song, but I, I would ask you to consider those four questions as a challenge to your life today. Are you where you need to be? And, and what I mean is very spiritually speaking, are you where you need to be? If you would say today, you know, I'm not where I need to be in my relationship with the Lord, then today's the day you want to confirm that and get it right. You want to be where you need to be so that God can continue to do what he wants to do through you. Don't be where you're not supposed to be. Don't be where you're not supposed to be. Listen, if you're not saved today, today's the day to get saved. That's where you need to begin. And if you are saved and you'd say, you know what, my walk is just not taking me where I'm supposed to be and I'm backslidden on the Lord, I'm away from God. Well, today is just the day to get right back where you need to be. God can't move you forward if you're not where you need to be. Am I where I need to be in the Lord? Number two, am I doing what I ought to be doing? Because the truth is some of us are where we need to be. We're just not doing anything. We're just not doing anything. We're at church. Man, we're here all the time. We're faithful all the time. We're not actually doing anything. God's given every one of you a gift, a spiritual gift, if you're saved, or multiple spiritual gifts. He's given you abilities and talents and gifts to serve this body of Christ, to reach people with the gospel, but then to serve this family of believers. What are you doing? What are you doing? You're... You're, maybe you're where you need to be, but what are you doing with it? How are you serving this church body? And then thirdly, are you listening? That was really good. Are you listening to who you need to listen to? You know, in our culture, we'll listen to Fox News, CNN, Drudge. We'll listen to all the talking heads. We just give God kind of the mute button concerning his word and concerning his structure of leadership many times in our lives. Don't we? And we know everything about everything and listen to everybody about everything except the Lord. And, and we've, we face those challenges. Man, March, I think for us, it began the test <laughs> of who we're going to listen to. Who's going to be our authority? I'm not saying we act stupid and do, do foolish things, but I am saying that we, we have a word from God that we're called to obey and the spirit of god and the word of god are always going to agree in our life they're they're always going to agree and then we've got to be willing to go and so listen again i'm going to pray we don't have to have an invitation you don't have to come to the altar but if god's dealing in your heart and those four questions are very real in your life and you would say you know what i'm not where i need to be well god knows that and you know that and today you can re reconcile that i'm not doing what i know i ought to be doing today you can reconcile that and it may need to be that you go to a ministry leader today and say, you know what? Hey, man, I've been kind of checked out for a while. I need to get involved. Can you help me find an area to serve? Can you help me find an area where I can minister to other people? I think God's challenged us today. And I think we need to respond. Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll spend time together in, in fellowship. Father.